2: Welcome to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox, and in just a few moments, Sherry McMillan, CEO of McMillan Estate Planning, will return to our show with some great advice on getting your family's resources organized and word of another seminar coming soon, too. In our second hour today, John Carlson takes a fresh look at Metro Vancouver real estate. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. It's time for change at ICBC, said Premier John Horgan this week. Quote, the old government ign- Ignored ICBC's problems, allowing it to become a system that made lawyers rich while drivers paid too much for insurance. Close quote. The BC government said on Thursday it's transforming ICBC with new legislation that will lower premiums by about 20 percent, an average of $400 in savings per driver. At the same time, maximum care and treatment benefits for anyone injured at crash—we're injured in a crash rather—will increase to at least seven point five. million and new benefits will provide care for those most seriously injured for as long as they need it. These benefits will be available to every British Columbian without having to hire a lawyer. You shouldn't need a lawyer to access the benefits you've paid for says Attorney General David Eby the minister responsible for ICBC and he went on to say by removing expensive lawyers and legal fees from the system we're making ICBC work for British Columbians again with more affordable insurance rates and much better coverage so anyone injured in a crash gets the care they need close quote in addition the province said that as icbc transitions to this new care based model there will be no basic rate change this year the province said the new care based system will take effect may 1st next year 2021 it's a pretty safe bet the trial lawyers association of british columbia are not amused a BC Supreme Court judge has rejected an attempt by the taxi industry to put the brakes on Uber and Lyft in the lower mainland. A consortium of taxi companies led by the Vancouver Taxi Association had sought an emergency injunction against the services. That would have applied while the companies prepare more comprehensive challenge of the passenger transportation board's approval of the company's license, a process, well, could take several months. A Vancouver Taxi Association spoke. Person said the taxi companies would still proceed with their application for a judicial review of Uber and Lyft's permits, a process that, again, could take months. And we'll stay with the transportation file for this next story too. Car share company Evo is stepping into the gap that will be left behind when ShareNow, car to go, leaves the Vancouver area later this month. Evo says it will be adding 250 new hybrid cars to the road this April, which will expand the fleet to 1750 vehicles. ShareNow's exit will take 1200 one-way car share vehicles off the road and leave more than three hundred thousand subscribers, well, looking for cars and competing for a much smaller Evo fleet. Evo, now the only remaining one-way car share service in the region, says it's also looking to further expand its fleet in the summer. A company spokesman said the company, which is operated by BCAA, is currently in discussions with the City of Vancouver about policy adjustments to support further expansion. ShareNow's final day of operation will be February 29th, though the company says it's selling off its fleet and as it goes forward a fewer vehicles will be available to clients as the end of the month approaches probably literally on a daily basis. Those are some of the top consumer stories of the week. We'll look at more later in the hour, but coming right up is Sherry McMillan, CEO of McMillan Estate Planning, back with us with lots more good information on organizing and protecting your family and all you've worked hard for. Stay with us. This is Vancouver consumer and you're listening to cknw and welcome back to vancouver consumer this saturday afternoon sterling fox with you always a pleasure to welcome this next guest back sherry mcmillan is the ceo of mcmillan estate planning with offices in canada the united states in hong kong in england she is a global financial planner and sherry it's always lovely when you stop by vancouver consumer for a visit good to have you with us again
1: Thank you, Sterling.
2: Last time we talked, uh, last month or so, uh, we talked a little bit about trusts. And it was in the context of uh, avoiding taxes or maximizing opportunities to avoid taxes. Is that what trusts are all about, Sherry? Basically, uh, devices, schemes, if you will, to avoid tax?
1: They certainly are you know, utilized at the forefront for that reason. And I think a lot of us don't understand what a trust is. Oh, I think
2: you're right there.
1: And I think that's why we miss this opportunity, Sterling. It's not because we wouldn't employ tax planning. We just don't realize it is a window of opportunity for us. So just to demystify what is a trust, basically a trust is an a particular legal platform that we create, we're the author of it, there is no such thing in reality. We create this legal platform that can own assets on behalf of ourselves and our family. And so it can work, and a lot of people that own companies understand it, similar to a holding company. So it's not a holding company, it's called a trust, but basically you can put anything you wish to in a trust. And you can still continue to manage it. So, and the difference, also.
2: The difference, I'm uh, sorry to interrupt, but I'm, I, I'm, oh. I'm back to the holding company thing because, you know, yes. we, we have in some cases uh, an asset of some description held by a numbered company, whether it's a home or a business or whatever. That's a holding company, isn't it?
1: That's right. And so, the unique part about a trust is a trust actually can own our businesses, and it can own all kinds of assets. So it can own the shares of our holding company. It can own our operating company. It can own our real estate portfolios. It can own our primary home. It can even own our savings accounts and so forth. And in some families, they own their art and vehicles inside their trust. So what it is, is it puts a fence around our asset base. And then there's some primary benefits to this. The first one is tax. But there are even more than just tax planning opportunities with it. Because when we put a fence around our estate, what we're doing is we're protecting our retirement. Because as an individual, what happens is we have you know liability risk as an individual. So let's say we snowboard in the US and we get into a lawsuit down there. Mm. How is your retirement protected? Well if it's in trust, it is. And so you have this fence there to give you protection. And many of us that are affluent are continuing to, you know, practice professionally or stay on boards of directors. We're always, you know, intrinsically continuing to carry on risk um, in our lives because we're living and we're enjoying life. But now we want to make sure that the wealth we created for our lifestyle in our retirement is going to have a fence around it. And so one of the wonderful opportunities about a trust is it's completely private and lawsuit protected. So that's a big pro for many of us.
2: It certainly is. Now, how complex? It sounds incredibly complicated. So how complex is it really, Uh, especially for someone hearing about this concept? Now, this has come up before in conversation with some friends over drinks, but it never went anywhere. But I'm I'm intrigued by the prospect of a trust because I I could see myself eventually going down that route. So how how does one even begin to to build or, or develop a trust and or learn about it?
1: Sure. Well, the first thing I would share with you is a trust is actually not even as complicated as a holding company. Oh. So, mo- most of us in Canada can learn this very quickly, I would say within an hour or two, and understand how it will work and operate. Um, I can try and simplify it for the audience today, but basically, what we do is we're creating this legal entity that can own assets and it files a tax return as a separate legal entity. It files a tax return called a T3 um and the income that's created in it are is a filed income tax return but ultimately it's really very unique in that it's quite simple because in a trust this legal mechanism that can own assets you can put anything you choose in it and you can govern it however you see fit so no trust i've ever built is the same oh, because okay. everyone is unique so you might decide i want to put everything into trust and another family may say I'm going to put half of my estate into trust because the other half um, I'm going to gift in my lifetime to my family now.
2: So it becomes a perfectly customized uh, package for each user.
1: That's right. And my suggestion specifically uh, in B.C., specifically because we have such great value in our properties there, is using trust to avoid Uh, probate fees that we would otherwise be paying on land transfer tax. So it serves like a will, it acts like a will, except it protects us through our lifespan like a life plan and through the next generations as well. Whereas a will does not protect us through our life from any of these risks and when we die, unfortunately we have a great workload and high costs to do the wealth transfer to the next generation and a trust solves all of that. So My rule of thumb is if your estate's over a million dollars, you've outgrown a will. You should not actually be giving that tool the contemplation. What we should be doing is a specific kind of trust to protect your estate. And in 2001, uh, the Canadian government allowed for us to do something called a joint spousal or alter ego trust if you're single. And what it does is it allows us, if one of us is over 65, we can take our entire estate on a tax-free basis and roll it into a trust where we're the beneficiary and the trustee. And when we pass, our children or our charities, whomever you've decided you'd like to benefit from your state, will continue on benefiting And you will have zero probate and no tie-up of your estate whatsoever. So in turn, you eliminate all those transfer tax fees on all the land values you have over in BC.
2: Interesting stuff. You used a word uh, that I hope you would get would have gotten to. He talked about a trustee. That would be the person in charge of a trust, any given trust. Are you the the person who puts the trust together? It's your money, your enterprise, your future. Are you automatically the trustee uh, and are you automatically in charge or is that also negotiable, for lack of a better word?
1: It's certainly negotiable. And my suggestion nowadays is to be your own trustee if possible. Okay. Because you could choose to hire an institution. But my opinion is this if you were smart enough to create an estate of high value where you, you know, have the requirements to produce and create a trust because you're trying to protect this high value, you were the person who created it in the first place. Sure. So you are the automatic steward you're going to be the best person to continue managing this particular estate. So I don't know why we would go out and hire an institution to manage an estate you created. And obviously institutions are more than happy to do so, but for a pretty substantial fee, you know, generally they will charge between 2 to 4% per year on the estate. And I don't know why we would give that value up, because if we created the estate, we're not usually going to charge ourselves to continue to manage it. So Generally, rather than institutional trusteeship, I prefer, if it's possible, for the family to be the trustees.
2: Interesting stuff. Uh, on, yeah. the ma- on the matter of families, though, and and it sounds like a silly question, but you're a pro and you've been in this business for 20 years and you've seen it all. Uh, suppose now a trust is being contemplated and uh, with the family idea in, in mind, Sherry. And yet there are family members who are not particularly interested, even though it represents a very comprehensive, practical, uh, especially with regards to tax approach to the future. There are some, shall we say, rebellious families. Family members who just frankly aren't interested so how do you work around them or how do you work to include them you do this all the time uh, when there is uh when everybody's not on board or on side with an idea
1: well i would suggest to you sterling that that would be called a normal family (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) Uh, everyone has one in the family um so what we normally do is the authority or the trusteeship is usually mom and dad if they're capable okay And then when we're considering who will be in charge upon the passing or incapacity of the parent group, we will select the people that are good stewards of the estate. So, you know, this is really common. We usually have in a family, um, you know, somebody that's maybe not the best at money management. Mm -hmm. We call that spendthrift. And very sadly, 25% of the time we have addiction in our family or we have mental illness in the family or one in the same, depending how you look at it. So, What happens in that instance is we pick the capable family members to oversee the trust to give protection to that child that may not be as able um, to do good stewardship for themselves. And so, you know, we can customize it. And that's why I say we've never seen the same trust built twice, because you have to look at who are the individuals involved and how should we design it to safeguard them from any areas of issue they may be facing in life because you imagine if you gave millions of dollars in a trust to a child with addiction, they may end up dying because they use that funding, you know, to support their habit and that would be, you know, non-supportive obviously. So, you know, we would then in that family situation, we wouldn't select that child to be their own trustee because that could actually kill them. So we would select a family member that's more appropriately designed that would be a good steward of that child instead.
2: Interesting stuff. And and this, of course, is all done in consultation with a trust and estate practitioner, the professional who helps you, such as, oh, I don't know, Sherry McMillan, perhaps, who sits down with you and puts the package together, right?
1: Thank you for that, Stuart. <laughs> It's, oh, um, I said Stuart. I'm so sorry. Well,
2: that's okay. I've been called much worse, by the way. Uh, talk radio, <laughs> a lot of years. Boy, the names get pretty, pretty salty. I'll tell you. So, Sherry, uh, in, in terms of uh, of of the uh, the family focus, though, and and, and including all family members, uh, no matter how reluctant they may be, that's one of the prime purposes of the trust. As you say, it's that wall of protection around the the your personal uh, creation, your life and and everything that's in it, your businesses, your investments, your assets, and of course, your family.
1: That's right. And the most important portion of this is we are designing it so that you can enjoy your life with freedom and your lifestyle into the years a- ahead, because we're living longer in retirement than we were in our working career. You bet. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we've stewarded our state appropriately for our own protection first. And so, you know, estate planning is not about dying, it's about our life. We didn't create an estate to die and give it away, we created an estate to live. And so it's there to provide you freedom and security. And so these are just tools to make sure that you feel that, that you feel in control, that you've stewarded well, you've mitigated tax, and you've basically ensured that what you've built is always going to be there for you in that lifestyle we're ahead.
2: Okay. Um, In my case, in my life, my mom outlived my dad, Sherry, by 30 years. Uh, And she was well taken care of uh, and and was comfortable for all that time. But, you know, as you say, we're all living longer. Uh, Women tend to be a little longer lived than men. But nonetheless, life is flat out longer for all of us, one hopes. Uh, And that spouse left behind quotient in this uh, package is terribly important, isn't it?
1: It certainly is. And we suggest that families use trust to give protection to a spouse that's left behind. And the reason for that is the spouse that's left behind... Um, can jeopardize the estate for their own care and lifestyle if they enter a second or third relationship, uh-huh, and this yes. is really common. In fact, Sterling, eighty uh, percent of men that are left behind do enter a second relationship. Mm, okay. So, so we always tease our clients. We say, you know, if. If you can drive at night and you're a male, you're like the hottest commodity in the whole country. So, <laughs> you know, we better build you a trust. And, right. You know, we make fun, but it's very true because 80% of our gentlemen will enter a second relationship. And so do women, of course. Right. Um, but there's far more women remaining than the gentlemen. So. Uh, What we suggest for families is while the married couple are still together, we build a trust around their estate so that if a second relationship comes into the equation later in life, then it acts like a natural prenup. Oh, okay. And so they can have, you know, new relationships and there's no issue with that. They're not then putting themselves in financial jeopardy.
2: Our guest is, uh, Sherry, we're almost up against the newscast. And, and I, I hate to interrupt because we're on a roll here, but we do need to break for the news. And I have another seminar, another Macmillan Estate Vancouver planning seminar to tell you about right after the news. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer for a Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox. Sherry McMillan is with me in studio. And just before we continue our conversation, I promised moments ago that we would tell you about the new McMillan Estate planning seminar coming to Vancouver. There was one here just a few weeks ago, and now we have the date for the next one. That will be Thursday, March 12th at the Marriott Hotel Pinnacle in downtown Vancouver, beginning as usual at 7 p.m. So circle this date on your calendar. Thursday, March 12th is the next McMillan Estate Planning Seminar in the usual spot at the Marriott Pinnacle Hotel in downtown Vancouver. Uh, They would appreciate it. There's no charge for any of these, of course. You're invited to bring as many of your family and friends uh, with you as you'd like. They would simply appreciate you popping over to the website and clicking on that button that uh, allows them to anticipate how many people you'll be bringing along with you again. No charge. They'd just like to have some wine and cheese, enough of it for you. and your friends, and everyone else. Macmillanestate.com is the website. Just go over there and click on that button, and it's all about the seminar on Thursday, March 12th, at the Marriott Hotel Pinnacle in downtown Vancouver, kicking off at 7pm. Now, Sherry, we were talking about uh, the spouse left behind in terms of the joint spousal or alter ego provisions that became available to Canadians in 2001, and... uh, Uh, And and how critical it is for any Canadian to have that kind of uh, planning involved. And you said estate planning earlier. You said estate planning is not about dying. And you're so right because, as I used in a personal example a moment ago, uh, in my own family's instance, my mom outlived my dad literally by 30 years, Sherry. So their estate planning was very much about her life.
1: It certainly is, and I'm just curious, Sterling. How old was your mother? She
2: was 96 and a half.
1: Yeah. So, so this is what I drive uh, forward thinking when we're designing everyone's estate is we're living to a hundred. Mm-hmm. A lot of us are going to live to a hundred, and so um, they're actually forecasting in the next 15 years there'll be 50,000 people who are 100 years old in Canada. Amazing. Yeah. So, so this being said. You know, we want the privilege of having a second relationship if we find the right partner, but we don't want to jeopardize our retirement. And so this is not about the next generation yet. This is about us in making sure that the wealth that we've created together is going to remain with us until the end of our lives. And then most people have a natural desire, of course, Sterling, that they want their estate to stay with their bloodline and family. So Mm -hmm. even if they enter a second relationship, they don't want their estate to go to a new family they want it to remain with theirs and so very sadly I see this a lot where families you know enter a second relationship we call it blended family right yes what happens is they're in a new relationship the parent group uh, decides well we'll just write a will that says everything goes back to my children my biological children but that's actually not valid in BC it's not a legal platform. They can write it, but it doesn't actually uh, fall under family law because you must give your estate to your spouse. So, you know, all of a sudden you have a situation where you're in a second relationship and whoever dies last, that family benefits? I mean, that's not fair. And so this is why children, and you hear these stories when uh, a parent enters a second relationship, the children have concern.
2: Well, sure, because well, they could, uh, They could. and in, in the children of the first relationship uh, could in, in some cases be completely cut out.
1: Right. And in, in one case out in BC, actually, we have an orchard that this is happening in where the non-orchard family is not benefiting from the orchard. A brand new family of the last five years is going to be benefiting from the orchard. So, you know, imagine that outcome and that's just a disaster. So what we want instead is we want to build a trust in your lifetime that states that your asset base goes to your bloodline, it goes to your family, and ultimately that can um, fit into the regime of the law there. And so all of a sudden, you don't need a prenup. And you will fall outside of those Family Law Act. So you can protect your bloodline and family. So any family, to me, that's in a blended situation must give contemplation to trust because they don't have the same provisions and privileges under the legislation, to do anything different.
2: Interesting. So, so then, Sherry, that would mean that uh, the families uh, where there are conflicts in terms of the, that second relationship—the classic example that you cite—there, uh, there, that whole thing is very likely to end up in an in a messy court scenario as the will gets challenged and uh, varied and all of that sort of thing. And that can all, the whole process can easily be avoided with uh, some thoughtful planning in advance.
1: Absolutely. And one of the unique parts about a trust is I call it a harmony tool. And, you know, it keeps harmony in a family. Mm -hmm. And I'm not making jests when I say that. It really can because you as the parent group lay out your wishes We then, the next generation, simply follow them. But there's not an opening for conflict or lawyers to become involved in the estate and, you know, offset what our actual wishes were. In addition, the new spouse that's left behind doesn't have the privilege to change it. So, you know, that gives a safeguard. If that spouse you leave behind gets married again, we don't want your estate again lost to whoever they're married to. So you can see how it's become complex in modern society as we enter more than one relationship that we really do have to build in appropriate protections to make sure our wealth is staying in our bloodline. And it's not a new idea. Um, that's the thing I like to share ultimately, Sterling, is it's a very old idea. Trusts were created in the 14th century in England, and that's how the castles have remained in the royal family, one generation after another, even to this day. So it it isn't um, a tool that we don't know how to utilize or don't have a great deal of experience with. And in Canada, we follow a lot of the British laws and precedents, so we're just kind of mirroring what the royal family has done.
2: Well, you call it the strong room approach on your website, uh, and and it talks about uh, in past centuries when noble families would uh, have their castles within which there was, as they call it, the keep in some cases. But there was a a fortress within a fortress, uh, and that's essentially what you're uh, uh, striving to achieve, right?
1: That's right. We're now simply doing it in law. Um, We don't do it with physical swordsmen, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> a, right. a stone building, Um, but we are doing it. And so, you know, the concept of it is actually the same, except we're doing it with a different professional agency. So, you know, when we have created affluence, there's this desire of us to do a couple of things. First of all is to protect it and safeguard it, but also to steward it well. And so I always like to talk about that because... Affluent families have a fear that's very common amongst themselves. And that fear is, I've created so much affluence. And my concern is, I don't want to ruin my children by giving them too much too soon. And then my children don't end up living up to their own potential. Mm -hmm. So how do I govern it? And how do I make sure they live up to their potential? And I think this is a really important question in modern society, because our desire is for our children to find their own footing you know, and to find their own way. And so if you give them too much too quickly, you could actually be destructive in them having the need to do that. And so, you know, in our industry, Sterling, you might find it interesting, but we actually have language for this. We call them trust babes.
2: Oh, okay. Because
1: because they never grow up, because they don't have to grow up. <laughs> it's very problematic. And, you know, Canada's new money We have a strong desire that our children find their own way and then become good stewards of our life's work and our hard work. And so what we use often for these types of situations for many families, for children and grandchildren, is something called an incentive trust. And what the incentive trust is, is it's your values and beliefs and life learning employed inside the governance of the trust. So for example... If you um, have built a large real estate portfolio and that's how you've created some of your affluence, perhaps in the trust, we could put in some guidelines on how you can utilize your trust. And maybe, you know, we help you buy your first property so you can learn about a rental property as a learning tool. And so I always say build them as if you were alive, don't build them as if you're gone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you wouldn't give $5 million to a 20-year-old today, then why are we doing that if you're gone? So ultimately, let's give them stewardship of the $5 million maybe when they're 30. Um, But they still can't take it all out at 30. They have to steward it so that they have learning. So we have a family actually in Vancouver that's really interesting. They have a substantial real estate portfolio in Um, The family feels strongly that that's one of the main facets they want the children to contend with and and continue. And so what we did is, in their trust, we've given the children $100,000 each cash. And we've basically said to them, go make your way in the world with this asset base and see what you can do with it. And in five years, whatever you have left, we're going to match and give you.
2: Oh.
1: Um, And so what that's going to do is... That's a very
2: healthy incentive now, isn't it?
1: It is. And so now they're going to study, they're going to learn, they're going to, you know, endeavor to do um, good planning. And, you know, it's interesting because I've done this a number of times for families. And in one family, I can think of, we had five children we did this in. Um, at the end of the day, three children had money that was matched, but two had, had no money left. <laughs> ah. So, you know, it, what that does, though, is it helps the parent group see the capacity of the child and also build the trust to protect the child. And so for those children that that don't need a lot of protection, maybe we don't have a heck of a lot of governance, but for those children who you know show that they're not able or capable then we put in more governance to make sure they're protected.
2: Sherry does business succession fit into this mold as well as long as we're talking about you know incentives and who's deserving and all of that kind of stuff and if it's based on whether it's a real estate or a restaurant it doesn't matter it's based on a family business Uh, does so is business succession a part of the package?
1: It usually is sterling if the family has a business because the business is the livelihood of the family right and so, you know, the, the first instinct of, of children inheriting a business is, oh, my goodness, this business is worth a lot of money. Um, but what they don't understand is most businesses keep reinvesting in the business mm-hmm. to keep it growing and moving forward. So sometimes we put in uh, particular parameters, like you can take out of the business um, 10% of the profit. So now the incentive is they want to make more, so their 10% increases. Of course. So they become a very good steward of the business because of those kinds of incentives that we can build in. And so, you know, this is important because, again, we want our children to come into their own and find their own path. And then, of course, what I'm finding is as children age, we're seeing more and more by 30 and 40, we're giving the reins over to the children. But not sooner than that, because ultimately it's in our actual 20s we find our way. Mm -hmm. And often in our 30s where we get married for the first time and have family. And what's happening is that's when the divorce cycle happens in our 30s and in our 60s. And that's a broad understanding. But so these are sensitive times. So what I always say is leave the trust in place because it acts like a natural prenup for your child And if the first marriage does not unfold properly, it doesn't matter. Their inheritance won't be lost.
2: So uh, we need to talk a little bit about the seminar coming up here, Sherry, because uh, I'm almost out of time and I could literally talk for another hour about this. this is absolutely fascinating. And the simple fact of the matter friends is everything Sherry McMillan has been discussing with me for the last half hour is the law. And in some cases has been since 1981 or in the case of this joint spousal or alter ego trust set up since 2001. Why don't you know about it? Or haven't you heard about it since? Well, it's because the government of Canada, through its revenue agency, is not responsible for teaching you anything. It's there. If You don't find out about it. You lose. You need to seek out the services of a trust and a state practitioner. Sherry and her team are returning to Vancouver for another seminar. This one will be at the Marriott Hotel Pinnacle, which seems to be a favorite location in downtown Vancouver. The kickoff time will be 7 p.m. Thursday, March 12th, is the date to circle on your calendar and inform your family and friends about too, because as is always the case, the folks at Macmillan Estate Planning do these seminars for groups. If you have people in a family group, a business group that would like to learn more about Collaborating, combining resources, uh, avoiding tax, all perfectly legal and well planned, you just need to pop over to the website. That's MacmillanEstate.com. Right there on the homepage, there's a button to click to request. A presence at the next seminar. There's no money involved. It's free. they just like to know how many chairs to put out, so there'll be lots of wine and cheese for you and all of your guests. The date again, Thursday, March 12th, at the Vancouver Marriott Hotel Pinnacle downtown. 7 o'clock the kickoff time on Thursday, March 12th. Sherry McMillan will present and afterwards be happy to take your questions. Sherry, thanks for taking mine today. Appreciate it very much.
1: Thank you, Sterling. Have a great week.
2: You too. We're back after this. Once again, our thanks to Sherry McMillan, CEO of McMillan Estate Planning, for another interesting visit. Thursday, March 12th, the next seminar. John Carlson is on deck with a fresh look at Vancouver real estate in our next hour. Time now for Ask Andrew, in which we place questions to our producer, Andrew Ferreira. And this time, Andrew, it's about those new TV demographic informations that you've been looking at. Who's watching?
0: Well, we all are. Uh, research co's Mario Canseco came out with some numbers earlier this week. Uh, and one of the things that interested me about this was PVRing. Uh, they found that women preferred recorded shows, PVRs to live shows, 37% to 17%. Really? However, men are the opposite, who prefer who prefer, sorry, live over recorded. Sure. 34 to 28%, which means that women have a greater opportunity to kind of, you know, skim through and watch what they want to watch. As well, they find that youth, youngest adults, uh, you know, they're usually one of the big, you know, money makers for advertisers. Sure. Only 9% of their TV watching time is watching live shows and events now.
2: Interesting. That's the much sought after 18 to 34 demographic, isn't it?
0: Exactly. And looking across the country, this a number also jumped out at me. Quebec is the king of live television. 35% of them. Uh, like watch TV Live, the reason, though, it might be because there is a smaller selection of French programming on streaming services.
2: Ah, okay, so that's interesting stuff. Thank you, Andrew. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before the news. One of the city's most luxurious hotels, our city's most luxurious hotels, has been ranked number one on a list of the 25 best hotels in Canada for 2020. It's the Fairmont Pacific Rim, right down on the waterfront, earning the highest spot. The ranking comes from U.S. News and World Report, which ranks the best hotels in Canada based on an analysis of industry awards, hotel star ratings, and user ratings, of course. Vancouver dominates the top 10 with four of the slots, and overall, Vancouver has five in the best 25, and other locations in the province an additional six, making 11 of the 25 best hotels in Canada right here in British Columbia. Other hotels in the top 10 besides the... The Fairmont Pacific Rim, again, number one. Okay, the Rosewood Hotel, Georgia is number two. Tofino's amazing Wiccan Inn is number three. The Wedgwood Hotel and Spa, number five. And rounding out the list at number 10, the Shangri-La. And as long as we're looking at lists, here's something completely different. Amazon Canada's annual list of our country's most romantic cities. Yes, there is such a thing. This is their 11th ranking. And this year, the winner is Fort McMurray, Alberta. The city of over 80,000 was number three last year, and this time knocked off seven-time top-ranked Victoria. Our capital city dropped to number 10 from 1 to 10 in the Romantic rankings. Rough year for Victoria. Rounding out the top five behind Fort McMurray are Toronto, Yellowknife, Bonneville, Alberta, and North York, Ontario. Amazon says... How did they get these numbers? Here you go. Amazon says they use sales data, which looks at the purchases of things like romantic novels comedies, relationship books, jewelry, sexual wellness products over the span of a year. Notably, Ontario had four cities in the top 10, Alberta had three, and BC with two. Kelowna is number nine, just ahead of Victoria. And that is our first hour today, produced by Andrew Ferreira. John Carlson is on deck and will join us with his take on Vancouver real estate right after Global News to Three.